Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. At Cub, we say we're your business family because that's exactly what we are. And today we're catching up with Cub family member George Goose, the managing director of Atlas Renewables and Arc Renewable Group. Starting his entrepreneurial journey at just the age of 19, George is now one of the country's most accomplished renewable energy entrepreneurs and he's one of the smartest guys I have ever met. He's truly what you would call a genius. He gave me great insight into the renewable energy space. Um, He shared an incredible story that saw him go from someone that would never picture themselves as being an entrepreneur to being a thriving entrepreneur. And uh, he gave me great takeaways and things to implement um, into my business uh, that I know you'll very much enjoy as well. This is a fantastic episode. It's one of the ones you really want to listen to the whole thing. So enjoy the show. Hey, George, how are you today, mate? I'm good. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. I mean, we I guess we're here because, um, uh, as you know, I catch up with some of the members at the end of their first year of membership and, and I actually do it with some of the end of their third year just to, to give me a good kind of keep my finger on the pulse of the club. And uh, I was doing your catch up and, and uh, we hadn't properly had a conversation as of yet uh, until that point. And when I was listening to your story, I was like, whoa, shit. This guy needs to come on the podcast. Not only are you, uh, I guess, a very young entrepreneur, and you're only 30, aren't you? But you're in the renewable energy space, which is super cool. I mean, I don't even know how someone falls into that space. So, But it's obviously a very important one coming up. So uh, I'm super excited to have you here. And and I heard you you went to a really cool lunch um, last week with a group of members, did you? I did, I did, yeah. Ant organized it. And did he? um yeah, it was in Manly. It was a beautiful view. I came early, so I got the best seat in the house next to uh next to uh, Adrian. So Adrian Hondros, uh, I remember, yes, CEO yes, of yes. Porter Davis. Correct. So, awesome. and you guys had a good time? I did. I ate a lot. I think I ate probably for uh for half of the guys there. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a big dude, but but uh, you met some cool people. Yeah, it was great. It was um it was actually really good to have that um to have that lunch and that relaxed atmosphere and yeah. um yeah, a few beers into us. So it was, it was Yeah, good. it makes it easy to yep, talk. There's something sure. that members love doing lunches together. It's always something that's that's been great. And and obviously you've gone through your first year of membership now. I guess what's been your favorite thing about the club? Um, I just like the social aspect of it. I think it's great to be able to catch up with people um, in a place that's that's relaxed. That mm-hmm. um, I think I think everyone's sort of on a level playing field in that um, everyone's sort of a business entrepreneur or, or a business owner. So um, it's nice to have those sort of conversations with people and and um, just get get a lot of knowledge from people that are a lot smarter than you, really. So. Awesome. Yeah. So did you and you found that the people you're meeting, they're great people. They, these are who, who the type of people you wanted to meet coming into Cub. Phenomenal. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, cool. Really, really good range of people, really um, knowledgeable people and, and people that drive. So I feel I feel really recharged and, and driven every time I, I leave a Cub sort of meeting, which is which is great. Man. Well, that means we did our job well. And you know, That's it's right. funny. A lot of people say that Cub gives me energy. I get energy from the club. I don't know why, but it must be a bunch of crazy people in the rooms fuel each other up but yeah yeah bit of that bit of the food that i eat as well probably. yeah <laughs> but um, so tell us i want to start with um with your business that you're in arc uh, arc renewable energy is that what it's called uh, arc renewable group yes. renewable group it was and originally it was arc energy uh close close so arc renewable group is the renewable energy arm of arc energy is okay. another entity so 
We've got Arc Energy, who's the electrical retailer and embedded network, and Arc Renewable Group, I suppose, provides the renewable energy services behind that. Awesome. And and I guess, do you, do you want to give us a bit, well, what, I don't know what that actually means. Do you want to give us a bit of a summary of what that means? Yeah. So, so what do so, you guys actually do? So it's a good question, actually. So um, I guess Arc Energy started as an embedded network operator. So in, in short, what they do is they aggregate the services in multi-resi buildings. So... Um, as an example, if you've got 100 units, we aggregate the power to all 100 units. And so we're able to offer each individual um, better rates, essentially, by yep. being able to aggregate that. Okay. And just um, for the really, really, really slow people like myself, <laughs> aggregate means kind of bulk buy. Yeah, bulk yeah. buy, correct. <laughs> so we, yeah, exactly. So we buy, buy wholesale, essentially, um, electricity, power, um, hot water, and then we on-sell that. Um, to to residents at a as, at a rate that's cheaper than what they could get in the market themselves. Awesome. So, and and so you own this company. Uh, so I run the renewable energy side of that business. Yeah. Awesome. So I work closely with the Arc Energy team, mm-hmm. um, who who are an electricity retailer, and then I provide the back end services like solar, electric vehicle charging, anything that can value add to residents and and to Arc Energy. Have you met our member Tim Washington that owns Jet Charge? Uh, I have. I, I I know of Tim, um, and I certainly follow him on LinkedIn and follow his activities closely. So um, yeah, that's one of the sort of technologies that we're that we're in. Yeah. Cool. And and would he be a good person for you to meet? Uh, yeah, love to meet, love to meet. Yeah, he's been yeah, a member sure. now in Melbourne. I think coming up to his third year. He's such a legend. I think yep. they're the largest electric vehicle charging company in the country. Or they are, like yeah, that. yeah. Are they? Charge, yeah. I think they are by by quite a while at the moment. I think really? we're actually partnering with another company, similar company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, it's it's such a huge market that yeah, definitely we're keen. And it's a growing market. It, it's rapidly growing. Yeah, so I think it's a it's it's not a question of if but but when, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think so too. You're you're in one of those industries that's just like it's kind of like construction it's growing in this guy i mean your industry is growing everywhere but it's an industry you know there's going to be heaps and heaps of opportunity coming out it's kind of one of the ones you want to be into it is and that's that's sort of what i thought uh when i started studying the course and and so that was what 10 15 years ago almost now but uh every time every year that goes by you're like when's it going to happen when's it going to happen when's it going to happen and i think now it's you know, ten years later, but it's it's finally happening. So I can't complain it, anymore for it, sure. It definitely is, and and we'll, we'll talk about this later in the in the podcast. But but it's one of those things where I feel that for renewable energy to be really just mass consumed and kind of just the, the source of energy, there's going to be it's it, someone's going to have to invent something that works better or do something better. You know, and you know what? Let's move that down the podcast list because <laughs> we're going to get there. And I don't know what I'm talking about. I want to sound dumb now. Yeah, I know. Um, but look, tell us about uh, tell us a story of how you actually got into the energy space. Because uh, actually, where did you grow up? Um, I'm Polish by background, so I spent my first few years in in Poland, and then I um, sort of I was born here. I went to Poland. I came back, and I've been sort of going back and forwards uh, ever since then. So um, I call myself a Polish kangaroo, but you know. Uh, <laughs> and so. Goose is your last name or how do you say that? How's the Polish way? Obviously, oh. I, obviously I just butchered <laughs> that name. What's the Polish way? Honestly, it's uh, it's it's Swedish. I'm 164th Swedish from my great-great-grandfather's side and I have no idea how to speak Swedish, so I have no idea how to pronounce my surname. <laughs> so, I never so have. So Goose it is it. Goose, Goose. My friends know me as Goose, obviously, so I have to act like one. <laughs> <laughs> and and so t- tell us a story about how you actually fell into, into – um, the energy space. Yeah, well, I think I think fell in is a is a really good uh, term for what happened to me. I, I literally fell into it. Um, I I studied renewable energy engineering at at uh, uni, 
Um, and that was through literally a process of elimination. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor from a very young age, so I chose engineering. And then from there it was, uh, you know, I didn't want to do civil and, and mechanical and all that boring stuff. So I thought uh, renewable energy, why not? Um, and at the time I think there was about 40 people in my course. So it was a really small sort of growing course at, at New South Wales Uni. And um, and so, yeah, it's it's all that I've ever done for the last 10 years. And I, I was one of those lucky people who studied something that they fell in love with and just, just did. So um, I, I literally fell into renewable energy. I fell in love with it. And then... Um, what do you like about it? Um, I think it's... I think I like variety. I think I like the variety of it. Um, there's, you know, when people think about renewable energy, they, they think about, you know, solar and, and wind and that's that's about it. But there's just... There's so much more to the sector. Um, and so um, there's everything from electrical, mechanical components, um, IT, uh, big data cryptocurrencies, like every single different technology is coming into the sector. So um, I'm always doing something different. We're talking to different people. Everybody uses energy. So there's just so much variety. It's, yeah, that's that's what I like about it. Cool. And and, and so you studied it and, and you ended up being, uh, I guess, a founder of a, of a renewable, of an energy company. How did that happen? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I and think- Sorry, were you always wanting to be a business owner? Was that what you wanted or were you and that wasn't, you know, it just happened? Uh, completely the opposite actually. I was I was a massive nerd in high school so I never saw myself working to be honest. I thought I'd be an academic and I thought I'd be a uh, – I'd do a PhD and after that another PhD and, and anything to extend my uh, – my, my entrance, my, exactly, my <laughs> entrance into the workforce. So it was, it was weird. I, I'd never considered myself uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. So, um, yeah, I – I literally, I, I was like chess, I did it like- Chess champion? Yeah, I was, I was doing chess club at New South Wales Uni. That was the extent of my uh, business, you know, now. So, um, yeah, I had I had a few friends um, doing my course, some Chinese friends, and, and one, of my, one of my friends actually introduced me to, to a guy from China who um, essentially needed to um, start a business for immigration purposes here in Australia. And so we met for- uh, we met for- for dinner, dong dong noodles in New South Wales Uni, ten dollar noodles, best best noodles around at the time, <laughs> and um, and yeah, we started brainstorming the sort of businesses that he'd be interested in starting. And uh, I was nineteen, he was nineteen, my friend was nineteen, so we didn't have much of an idea of oh, the what Chinese was going contact on. was a young guy as well, young guy, yep, yep. So his dad had sort of um, made it in business in China, and I think he was, um, you know, his his son was sort of immigrating um, to Australia and, and and setting something up, so. Um, he was he was guided by his dad, um, which I'm forever grateful for, because um, that guidance sort of trickled trickled onto me as well um, going forward. But yeah, certainly I sort of said, well, I'm I'm in the renewable energy space. I think that's going to be a cool space in the future. And and he sort of um denied, and and we had our dinner and we shook hands, and and I thought I'd never see him again. And uh, two months later, he called me and he said, well, actually, my dad knows somebody who manufactures solar panels in China. Um, we're interested. And uh, w- would you come to China with us to uh, to be our CTO? <laughs> and um, and I said, yeah, okay, no problems. Why not? I'll take the opportunity. And and how old are you? Uh, I was nineteen. I just I think Jeez. I just turned twenty. And and yeah, so so two weeks later, I was on a plane to China looking at a the biggest factory and the only factory that I've, I've seen in in my life to that point. So it was it was quite strange. Um, and quite honestly, it was just pot luck that the company happened to be a really large and reputable solar panel manufacturer at the time. It was a really big 
Because really if it was like a piece company. of shit company, you wouldn't have known the difference. You'd no, like, yeah, I would have no <laughs> idea, to be honest. The factory looked pretty big to me and that's about all I knew. But um, yeah, so it was, it was actually Tianwei. It was a company called Tianwei Yingli. Um, and people might remember Yingli from sponsoring the, uh, the, I think it was either the Olympics or the FIFA World Cup, I don't remember now, but it was it was a really big company. So um, Reminds me of Bing, Bing Lee. Bing Lee. <laughs> bit of brain, yep. bit of brain equity it, there. Well, that's right. So it was... <laughs> It was, um, yeah, it was just, it was just one of those situations, you know, and he sort of, uh, and, and I was literally there at the factory and he said, okay, George, um, what, what panels should we buy? And, uh, and I said, what, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, we want to order a panel of containers. And I said, oh, geez, okay. I was flicking through my lecture notes, you know, quickly having a look at what I'd learnt like two weeks before going, what panels do we buy? <laughs> and, um, and I ended up going, oh, this one. And they bought it. They bought it. I think it was a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar container. The of Chinese panels. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah. Again, a month later, the container was uh, at our Alexandria warehouse. Um, <laughs> we were learning how to drive forklifts uh, unofficially um, to to offload these things. We had to borrow our neighbor's forklift to get it off. And uh, and yeah. So three weeks later, we we're trying to sell um, sell solar panels. So. I, I literally fell into it. I was I was so green looking at it now, and uh, of course I picked the wrong panels. So it took <laughs> us about a year to sell that first container. But um, but look, thankfully, thankfully the um, my partner's dad was he basically gave us twelve months, and it was a sink or swim situation. He said, "Look, you you, you we don't expect you to make money for the first twelve months. You, we expect you to learn." Um, and and that's that's pretty much what we did. Um, that first container ordering. The wrong panels was probably in hindsight one of the best things that happened to us because we had to try everything to try and sell those panels so we we actually um we had our mini COVID 19 crisis 10 years ago you know when we were just doing everything we could to try and get sales to um to you know to learn about the market to learn about our competitors and and the product so um it was one of those in just interesting things where a mixture of, of luck and sort of timing i think um, turn turn things around. I think um, to give you some context, it was 2009. I think so. It was in the almost in the middle of the GFC, mm-hmm. um, and so we had a lot of we had a lot of other companies actually fall over at the time, and so we were lucky in that there were a lot of companies looking for suppliers at the time, and we were sort of just there fresh and, um, new, yeah a bit of cash in the pocket ready to go. Um, yeah, I think it wasn't so much a matter of cash, but it was a matter of um, of being flexible with our um, with our terms, so we sort of we quickly understood what customers wanted in from a distributor, and it wasn't just price; it was things like trading terms, it was things like flexibility, um, continuity of supply, things like that. And I think we picked that up really quickly, and that's why um, a lot of customers gave you know three nineteen year old guys a chance, um, which which I'm still amazed at. So yeah, but nineteen is proper young. Like I <laughs> I remember. When Cubs started, I was 23, and I remember how, you know, the dumb shit you think about when you're 23. You're not thinking as an adult. You know, your brain as a man is not even fully formed at 23. You don't know which way is up. But, but 19 is just a joke. 19 is very, very young. And yeah. I can – there's a couple of things you said that I really liked. One was that um, um, you, know, you ordered the wrong, uh, the wrong panels – these pan- but but that was a great thing because it allowed you to fast track your your knowledge of the industry of, mm. of yeah of the space of the industry it, that problem was a blessing and i love that lesson that every problem is a blessing and the other cool thing which is really relevant to now is the fact that you did start um in the middle or to the end of of a financial crisis and that you actually found benefit in that because 
a lot of companies had fallen in the crisis, suddenly you found opportunity to to come in and and um, I mean that's obviously uh, that's obviously both uh, valuable for for listeners that that are either have lost their company and they're starting again. Well, it's a good time to start, but it's also valuable for for listeners that have pushed through uh, that have gone through this crisis, and it, it's a, it's a sign that basically say, well, look, you're going to have a bigger market share to be able to take. So. That's a really, really cool story. And and so, how long did you were your partner in that company for? Almost six years. I um sold sold my shares out of that um, about four or five years ago now, and I went out on my own. Um, but yeah, it was one of the really interesting things was that we um, the founders of that company stuck together for six years, yeah. um, which is longer than my girlfriends and everything, <laughs> everything combined at nineteen. Like you said, so it's, yeah, it is. So it's not it's not a bad effort for for, for really young guys to stick stick through like that and yeah. three 19 year old and yeah. can you can you tell us about the chinese dad was he a mentor to you was he was he uh was he just a backer he gave you cash or did he actually mentor you no so he he mentored obviously he's, he mentored his son mainly um and and sort of showed him the ropes but like i said i think i i got mentoring by osmosis so just by being just by being in the room and just by listening in on those conversations he he didn't speak english so i learned a little bit of chinese as well by 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 the end of it but um i got a lot of those lessons secondhand from from my partner from his son and i just have immense respect for them and uh and the way that they they did business so um yeah what, what was, was some, what were some of the key takeaways you think you, you think he impacted your your journey with, or your entrepreneurial skill set with? Um, I think, I think um, first of all, he's a great negotiator, and I think that's something that's something I learned about the Chinese is that they're just really good negotiators. I was going to say um, that when he's Chinese, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I learned a little bit of of, of that. Um, I I honestly, I really love the culture, um, the Chinese culture. It's something that I find a lot of similarities, funnily enough, with with Poland and my my Polish culture. And people are like what? But such as what? Um, I. I think they're very, um, I guess, family orientated, but also as a as a people, as a nation. I think, um, I guess, Poland coming from an ex-communist background, um, you know, Second World War, then communism for forty years, um, and then thirty years of unprecedented economic growth. I think there's um, a lot of uh, sort of parallels between the two countries in their sort of economic development and their history, um, or their recent history, mm. which I think, um, you know, we're just both sort of. Countries coming out of poverty, just really hungry people, smart people looking to, you know, make an impact on the world. So I think I think I share a lot of those sort of traits. With, yeah, it's um, amazing how the experiences of a nation can kind of impact the culture of of the entire body of people. Yeah, you know, like uh, yeah. going through. Like this is very off topic, but <laughs> but like. Americans are so patriotic. Mm. Uh, most most people of most countries are incredibly patriotic. Yeah, and most countries have have been through really bad crises as a whole. You know, they've been conquered or taken over, or you know, their people have been taken out. But and I actually feel that obviously these are horrible, horrible situations that happen throughout history, but they've happened always throughout history. But I actually think if you were to find the positive, the positive is a greater sense of unity. With the people and a and a greatest and and a stronger culture and a more I guess patriotic culture, um, and and I relate that to business because um, what I found with COVID and going through last year, I found that our team is more patriotic to cup 
Mm. You know, and, and they're stronger. Our culture is more defined. We know who we are more because we we view ourselves as tougher. Like, you know, in the always here, like Eastern Bloc people are always very hard people. Yeah, because they've been through wars nonstop for the past how long? 60 years more. But of course they're hardened people. Yeah. And 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 so experiences and going through these battles and whether they be metaphorical or actual, actually can shape a culture. And a lot of people should, I mean, the hope would be that the team you brought through COVID um, uh, was strengthened and are closer now and work better together now because of that adversity. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really well put. Um, I, think, I think that's exactly right. I think um, a lot of people in Australia certainly haven't seen conflict or experienced it. And so COVID is probably the first real challenge that, that people here have faced and um, and you're right, when something like that happens, you, you sort of, um, it, it forces you to reflect on, on your priorities and on what's important. And I think that um, that can unify, that has a great unifying strength. So, um, yeah, as long as it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Like, like it's a bit cliche, but it's true. It's true, though. I'm a firm believer in that. Mm. And, um, and so you've sold out of that company. And why did you do that? Did you want to go on your own? Um, yeah, there's a few factors um, for that. I think one of the one of the main reasons was I I wanted to go on my on my own. Um, another reason was that that company was um, I guess becoming more and more focused on the Chinese market, um, which is a market that I found it I guess difficult to participate in firsthand, um, just with language barriers and things like that. So I just sort of felt um, I felt I was ready um, to to try and to try and do it on my own. Um, and so I think. Um, one of the reasons why I'm in business is is to challenge myself. I don't think I'm a good businessman, really. So that's sort of why I do it is to um, is to challenge myself and 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 to learn. So that's really interesting, though, because so I mean, you didn't want to get into business at all. You saw yourself as an academic. You thought you were going to keep studying, and now suddenly you only would have been at that point what twenty four. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And suddenly you're saying, "Hey, I want to go out on my own and start my own renewable energy company." What was the? What do you think had changed in your mind? What what had changed in your psyche or in yourself that allowed for that? Um, that's a good question. What caused it? It's a good question. I think um, certainly confidence had a lot to do with it um, and experience. The fact that I sort of um, I I had some training wheels, I suppose, earlier in, in in my career, so to speak. So I felt like I could I could do it. Um, a lot of a lot of things are scarier when when you don't know about them or when you don't understand the risk. And so, if you if you understand the risk, I guess you can manage the risk. And so, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of um, the, the sector, the risks that exist, and and how to manage them. So, I felt like um, yeah, it was just a good time for 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 the next challenge. And do you think potentially that um, if we as a country want to create more entrepreneurs? that the best way or a way to do that, because I've always said we need to showcase and idolize entrepreneurs more and they need to be, show people examples of, of what's, you know, what they're able to accomplish and something they can relate to. But you actually just gave me a great new idea, which is that we should be throwing or giving uh, young people an opportunity to, to start a business in, I don't know, in whatever industry they choose at a really young age and kind of going through that, 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 like what you experienced, basically, and funny enough, that's what I did too. I was put through the um, put through the business test from basically nineteen to to, to twenty to twenty three, really, and that's why when it came to carb, I was like, yeah, I feel I'm ready. I've I've done. I, I can do this. I feel comfortable. 
maybe we should have some sort of thing in universities where, you know, kids go in and the first thing they do is just start a business. I never got fucking taught business. I never went to university. You know, I just started. Maybe we have some sort of just practical go start a business. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, some sort of funding situation. Yeah, you know, don't you pay back your uni? What's that called? Um, uh, hex. hex. Yeah, hex. yeah. What if you did the same thing? The government, instead of borrowing money to go to university, borrow money to try to start a business and pay that back as you uh, as you earn. The government funds you. I'm a genius. I'm going to run for prime minister. Not bad. That's not actually bad. not a bad idea, yeah. is it? I'll take I'll write that 20%. down. 35%. Yeah, well, it's kind of your what idea. What am I saying? <laughs> yeah, you're you get 15% relaxed. <laughs> told you I wasn't my a good podcast. Business. Told, you, told yeah. you I wasn't a good businessman. <laughs> no, but I just think that's really incredible. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great idea. Anyway, um, and so what was the new business? Was it the exact same thing you were doing before or was it, um, it but you wanted to do it in Australia or did you change your model? Uh, no, actually. So, so we, we sort of went through a few iterations of that original company. We, we started off as a wholesaler. Um, we got we grew quite big um, in in the wholesale market about ten years ago. We then moved into um, into commercial um, solar, and then we we acquired a company that did um, commercial um, energy efficient hot water solutions. And we sort of spent two or three years sort of um, perfecting that technology and and manufacturing it out of out of China, selling it in Australia. So um, the last sort of few years of of what I was doing was very sort of um, technical product based, um, and and I thought. Um, I thought that if I kept going down that route, I would be a really, really knowledgeable in a very, very narrow, specific little field, um, and that sort of wasn't um, altogether part of part of my ethos as well. So um, when I started on my own, I I, um, I made a conscious decision to again, I'll use the word aggregator um, and be a service aggregator, and um, the reason for that I think is because. Um, that leads to an optimal solution for the client and the customer. So um, a solar company isn't going to say, well, 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 don't install solar yet. Look at your energy efficiency first, reduce that and then install solar, right? No, nobody's going to do that. So um, Because they want to sell the panels. Yeah, because they want to sell solar, right? So um, in terms of the best outcome for a client, it's actually to look at their energy consumption as a whole and and, and try and optimize that consumption um, and then look at you know energy efficiency, renewable energy or a mix of both. Um, and so by being able to aggregate those different solutions together, we're actually um, sort of able to achieve the best outcome for our clients rather than pushing a, tech, a, a particular solution. Um, and I think that, um, again, that sort of um, customer-focused model, um, low sort of low volume, high, um, high sort of project value is sort of what, what I went after. Um, and again, that's stemming from sort of the, the broad technical base that renewable energy engineering teaches you. So I guess there's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge about a very specific sector in the field, but renewable energy as a whole, it's a very fragmented market. There aren't many players that can bring it all together. So that's and so that's the do. strategy you went with. I want to yeah. bring it all together. And what I kind of liked was that you're saying we're not pushing a product. What we're trying to do is, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're trying to do is reduce the amount of energy someone uses and we're going to do that with using whichever methods we believe will accomplish that goal. Is that correct? So I'm, it might be solar. It might be, I don't know, making you use less electricity by doing this. Is that, is that kind yeah, of Yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. So we look at energy as a whole, basically. So first we try and reduce the energy consumption without sacrificing, you know, output. Um, and then we can power the rest of that energy through renewable sources or 
um, or other means. And then also there's a procurement element to it as well, trying to find, you know, the cheapest cheapest power available. You're basically problem solving. You're putting on the nerd hat and you're getting the maths and you're saying how can we decrease this number? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And, and what did you mean then by saying uh, low turn? So I understand by aggregating you're selling to a large – so let's say we're in an apartment building right now. Let's say you're going to provide the whole building energy or whatever it may be. Um, uh, so you, I understand you, you were saying uh, we don't do – Big turnover. We do big projects. How do you actually? Who do you actually do it for? Like, who? Where do you go sell to? Or like, who would approach you for aggregated energy? It's it's a it's an interesting question. So the the embedded network side of the business targets new developments essentially. So developments that are sort of fifty units and above um, in the multi residential space. So you're going to developers. Yeah, yeah, essentially, and and so our renewable energy arm sort of focuses on 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 doing the back-end renewable energy work for, for those um, developments. So things like solar, electric vehicle charging, batteries and storage um, and, and other solutions, smart home solutions, things like that. Um, but also I guess the renewable energy arm also has standalone customers in other sectors, so aged care, child care, um, commercial, industrial, wineries, um, that's that's hospitals. Kind of hospitals, yep. So anything that uses bulk energy, basically a lot of commercial. Exactly. Businesses. So that's sort of the, the 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 opportunity and the challenge in the sector is that everyone's a potential client. So yeah, but um, and so you do both residential in that you do the developments and you do obviously commercial in those bigger projects. Do you have one that's a preference or no? Uh, we 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 probably do everything except for um, sort of residential households. Mm -hmm. So we don't because it's too small. Um, yeah, I guess we, we don't target mums and dads. Our business isn't really um, structured that way. So that's what I sort of mean by high volume, um, high volume business. So to sustain a business like that, you need, you know, hundreds of clients a month or, or tens of clients a month to sustain that sort of business. Um, and, and so, um, we, we don't have sort of the, the, the sales resources or the front end resources to, to, to take care of that. We're sort of much more technical, um, and, and engineering heavy. So that's why we sort of um, our strength is more the the more complex stuff, the the larger stuff. And you, so sorry, you're talking about currently the business. So the business you started yourself, is that what you're talking about, or did we kind yeah, of yeah? So that Arc Renewable now? Group, yeah. Arc so, Renewable Group, yeah. But you started that yourself. Uh, so again, it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting one, but. Um, I started a company called Atlas Renewables okay. uh, five years ago. Yeah, I thought I read Atlas or Arc or something. Yeah, in so, I remember there was an A. Yeah, yeah. So I started a company called Atlas Renewables and and quite early on in the piece I met Arc Energy and we sort of joint ventured. So um, she became a partner yeah, in the whole, in, the, yeah, in exactly. a larger group. Exactly, exactly. My, my old man used to always say to me, better off earning 1% of uh, something than 100% of nothing. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Something like that. And so you were saying the business is is structured more to be focused on the engineering rather than sales or, or whatnot. So is that part of your strategy? As, as a strategy, did you guys say, you know, we're focusing on reducing uh, – rather than selling products, we're selling reduced energy and rather than um, sell small reduced energies to households, we're selling it to larger scale things, which means our focus or our strategy, I guess – is to focus on the uh, on the actual problem solving. You know, if we've got this hospital, for example, we want brains to figure out how to reduce the energy of this hospital, but we don't need that many salespeople because we have low. There's a low, I guess, customer uh, attainment. 
that was not the right word to use, but <laughs> there, there, there's not large sales traffic. Mm. There's big, you, you're not catching salmon, you're catching whales. And when you catch a whale, you need multiple people on the boat. Oh, that's bad because no one wants to catch whales. But you know what I mean. Like, yeah. But no, you know what I mean. Like if you're catching a whale, you need more condone, people. I don't I just condone don't, that yeah, at all. Fuck for that. The I hate that. Oh, <laughs> me too. But it, oh, God, okay. You're catching something. You're catching a T-Rex. <laughs> to catch a T-Rex, you need more manpower to figure out how to catch the thing. Nah, I know, went straight to Jurassic whatever. Park with that one. I was yeah. just, I don't know how you catch it. Well, you can't be <laughs> you upset need about fence. catching a dead animal. You need to build a wall. Oh, and, and you know what I mean anyway, yeah? Like, you're, you're, I do. Your manpower goes towards the, the solving of the problem. Um, look, I think I think I'll, I'll put it in the simplest way in that our business is structured or our sales side of the business is structured more as a B2B business rather than a B2C. So even though our our um, potential customer base are, are, are customers, so they're, they're aged care schools, hospitals, uh, most of our leads actually come from other businesses in our sector. So as an example, we work really closely with a number of consultants in the space. Um, the consultants um, are a great partner because they consult and then we implement. Um, so that's that's one way in which we work with other businesses. The other way is because we've got such a, um, I guess, broad, broad product offering, we can always add value to a different company in our space. So as an example, we work with a lot of solar companies who don't have other offerings. So we might like to supply electric vehicle charges as an add-on to their business um, or lighting companies that don't necessarily do solar, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we actually, um, our strategy is more to borrow, um, I guess, the sales forces of other businesses in our area. Saving um, costs so you can spend more money on the engineering. It, of, exactly. Uh, and the brain power. Exactly. And there's there's a lack of there's a lack of that in the sector, I find. So I find that the traditional business is structured with, you know, 20 sales guys and then one poor engineer on the back end signing off on everything. Mm. Um, that's and, how I would have been taught to run yeah, it. Yeah, well, and that's and and yeah, that's that's how I pro- probably should run the business. But it, it's turned out to be exactly the opposite. So we've got, you know, we've got the 15 engineers in the back end, and our motto is just don't stuff up because yeah. um, you know our consultants and our B2B partners, they provide us with ongoing work. Um, and so if we have that relationship with our B2B partners and we, you know, they know that we can we can deliver a great product to them and their clients, um, then we're going to get ongoing business through that and that's sustainable. What's really cool about that is that um, you've basically figured out how to have a free sales force. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you can par- put it that way. Well, that's what it is, yeah. through partnerships, yep. um, through, through referral systems and things like that. And, I mean, that's something com- incredibly complex to do. Imagine if every company could have a free sales. You know what the equivalent of that would be? Mm-hmm. It would be like Cub only growing through members. If every member became a, a, a regular referrer, like they referred one person a month, we would have a completely free sales. We should do that. Imagine and, if that happened. Yeah, well, th- that's what we're going towards. We're yeah. going to get there. Yeah. But but one other thing, you should read this book. It's called, uh, I just finished it today, actually. Um, it's called uh, The Origin of Brands by Al Rees. Um, I mentioned it in my last, in the last podcast episode. And it talks about how um, when you're creating a new brand, you want to be opposite, directly opposite to the, I guess, the originator of that brand, the, the, the first person in that category. And if the first person is doing bulk salespeople, and one engineer, well, then your strategy sh- probably makes sense to do bulk engineers and one salesperson and to build your enchi- entire company structure around that model because it's going to be so different to the rest because the rest are going to follow the first. So they're all going to be the same and they're going to die because the first is always going to win. But you're the first in your model. You, you're kind of the opposite. And rather than pushing a, 
a product, you're pushing a reduction in energy and a solution. And I, I read that book, trust me, you'll like it. I think it's really relevant. It will be quite relevant to you. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. And what are things you guys do in your company um, that, um, that I guess you think other people could implement into their own or that I could implement into mine? Look, I think, um, I think Cub actually is implementing a lot of the, a lot of the things that have, have sort of been a success for us. And, and one of them is I have to give a huge shout out to, to my team. Um, I've been, I've been again, fortunate in that, um, I've had a really, really great team from the very beginning of, of, of starting the business. Um, I've had, um, the guys stick with me and share the vision um, and and grow with the company. And so I think um, if, if you like look after the staff, they're your most important asset. Again, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's it's so true. And that's sort of coming really strong during COVID. Um, we've been fortunate. We've, um, you know, taken on more staff during COVID. So we've been one of the lucky businesses, but also the staff um, have stayed with us during COVID and, and, um, and they've just become partners in the company really I see them all as partners in the company because that's that's what they are they're directly adding value in there um, I guess that stability is is really important um, and I think you can sort of see that in any area whether it's government whether it's corporate or or small business um, having sort of that loyal um, and so what are some staff. of the things you actually do in order to show uh, in order to build staff loyalty or, or, or to create that sense of ownership like you just described um, I think I think one of the key things I'm learning to do is uh, to listen to staff um, and sort of not distance yourself from 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 your staff, your partners, essentially. Um, so um, I like that you refer to them as your partners because that's what it is. A business is a body of people that make up a whole. It's like it's like if you're a whale, <laughs> each person <laughs> is a bone that makes up the whale that functions and flows through the ocean so seamlessly. Sure, sure. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> I knew I was going to uh, win the whale thing. Yeah, I was, like waiting, I was waiting for my time to get back. <laughs> I was like, come on. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, the fact that the fact that I'm pretty young and, and all of my staff are, are, are the same age as me also sort of um, helps helps I guess with that sort of connection um, but yeah just just listening um, I think and, and taking some input um, each of my staff have had a direct input into improving our, our processes our brand um, and and at the end of the day they represent who we are and they share our values so um, that's that's I think something that's that's quite important that I'm still learning to do um, as effectively as possible and the other thing is just investing in stuff I think it's such a small uh, in investment in in the grand scheme of things to um to actually uh want your staff to better themselves and to progress their careers and to be part of that i think it's um it's not something that people should shy away from or limit i think it's something that just yeah should be done everywhere i mean that's a pr- an approach at cub that i always push i always say there's n- we're not at work we're alive i actually said that in this this <laughs> today's morning meeting i said guys this is life we're here to win life. We're not here to just to win at work. We we should be healthy. We should be ethical. We should push ourselves. And and at Cub we do things like that. So we we'll, uh, we have a team. We pay for gym memberships basically. Yeah. And we have uh, team training sessions every uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, when members of the team want to do online courses, you know, we'll purchase the online courses, uh, whether it be for Excel or whether it be for um. Or HubSpot, you yep. know, to learn the yep. CRM system, yep. or whatever. We, I think that's a really important tool because it's not just about, and it's not just about making them feel good for or better for work. It's actually about making them a better person, because as a better, as a stronger person, they they gain more confidence from that. They gain more 
and also they attribute their personal success to to the office, mm. not to the office. Sorry, to the to the company. Mm. You know, the company. I, I'm fitter now. I use health and fitness because it's just an easy one to do. I can strong use whale Cal- bones. Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> Cal- yeah, strong whale bones. Yeah, that's right. calcium. But Calvin um, uh, met our member. Um, uh, Lockie Rouston, who was on the podcast, who, who he actually has his own podcast. It's the largest largest fitness podcast in the country, and um, and uh, he also owns three gyms. And Calvin uh, met Lockie and got into training, and that's how we started this team training thing. Yeah, right. And Calvin's far fitter now than he was when he started at Cub. But uh, not that Cub did that; Calvin did that. Yep. But they can. Uh, but we promoted it. We wanted mm. that. We attributed. And and so I think. Getting your team to to grow and to make them to, to feel proud of themselves, even if it was just by still smiling at the end of a hard day, which you should we should promote. These are things that they, it's going to make them stronger people as a whole. And the only way to make your company stronger, the best way in my opinion, to make the company stronger is for the is for the team, individual each individual person on the team to get stronger. Mm. So part of our role as leaders is to actually to help our team grow. Not just at work, but in life. Couldn't agree more, yeah, Matt. And um, oh, what else did you say that I wanted to ask? Oh, you were saying that you, you catch, you listen a lot with your team. Do you have regular meetings? Yeah, so we do. do. Yeah. And what are they? How do you structure that? Um, yeah, they're they're um, Friday meetings. Um, so we've sort of started. Um, or we we decided to do it at the end of the week rather than the beginning, uh, which is which is kind of interesting. We have a, a separate sort of individual meeting with different um, sort of divisions on on Monday, but then on Friday we do sort of a bit of a team meeting. And what was the summary. reason for Fridays? Um, like, why did you choose the end of the week rather than the start? I think it was more around. Um, I guess just just providing a summary and and almost having the meetings as as something like a lessons learnt meeting, so um, something where you could reflect on the week and provide suggestions. I think if you're um, if you're doing a meeting like that at the start of the week, um, it's kind of forward looking, um, which I think is also very important. Um, but I think as a team, if you're taking on suggestions, it's sort of good to have a bit of context. So while it's fresh in your mind, that week it was fresh. Um, you know, different team members can contribute. Um, talk about their wins for the week. Talk about what could have done be done better. Talk about things to implement for the next week, and also um, just tick off sort of key action items that, that were supposed to be done um, during that week, and keep everyone accountable. I do um, like that idea. Lessons learned meeting, kind of like yeah, how are we stronger after this week. Yeah. What did we learn? How? What have we accomplished? You know, that's a great idea. I really like that lessons learned meeting, and you really approach it from a you know people can bring the three things that perhaps that they're most proud of that week or the three best things that happened to them that week. That's cool. I like yep. that a lot. Yep. Um, and yeah, so, so team, so t- teams, one of the things that you focus on very much, what, what other things do you think uh, you guys do that uh, perhaps myself or the listeners can, can implement? Um, I think, I think just having a, a really strong offering. Um, so um, again, I think everything, everything that we do is to, um, to be customer centric and to be able to offer um, offer our customers value, um, and we do that um, almost to the point where we've developed models or we implement models where we we are at risk. So we put our money where our mouth is, and we we say, well, we guarantee this is going to save money because we will take a share in those savings with you, or we'll take a share in the revenue with you. So we actually um, take a revenue position or a cost position in some of the projects that we develop. Um, and I think that's um, that's a, another key to success is just um, to to share risk. Um, I think that's that's quite um, quite um, important in 
own business as well. You could look at it as shared risk, but you could also look at it kind of as guarantee, you know, and and I think, you know, you guarantee something. I think that's an important concept because, you know, if I'm buying a cup, I should be guaranteed that that cup works, that yeah. I will in fact get the cup. Do you know what I mean? So, but in service-based businesses like our, like our businesses, we need our cups, you know. They need to know exactly what it is that they're buying. Yeah. And you and need a guarantee to deliver that. <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, important. It's, it's interesting that you raise uh, that because that's something that I think the service industry sort of needs to, to learn or needs to um, or perhaps implement to be, able to, to, to be able to grow or be more successful. I find that service industries that um, I know it's hard to provide guarantees in certain sectors and stuff like that, but even, even taking a position where you're sharing in the success or sharing in the failure and you're incentivized to do that, um, I think is is quite an important model um, to investigate. And um, again, interestingly enough, those sort of models have been around in America for thirty years. And here in Australia, if you say, "Well, we're so we're so confident that we that we can provide value to you," people go, "Oh, it's, it's black magic," you know. So <laughs> it's it's interesting. Yeah, because the US is very <laughs> pro the we are the best at the, you know we we that Wolf of Wall Street style of sale where. You know, we're the best at it. We're the best in the country. Look at our social proof. We have a book, you know, we've got this very American. But but um, I'll tell you, there's always a way to, I believe, there's always a way to find a guarantee. For example, it was very hard for us to find a guarantee at Cub because members all came for different reasons um, and, and got different values because some people would come, um, you know, some people would come. And they would meet someone and they'd start a business, to, uh, another business together. Some people would come gain business. Some people would come just make great friends. Some people would come and they would love the knowledge aspect. So the, the, the benefits um, we were seeing for each person were different. So we couldn't really guarantee any of them because some people were, they were getting different benefits. Mm. But what we did realize is that they're getting these benefits from relationships. So they, these benefits are coming from basically friends and people they're meeting in the club and we can't even guarantee that. So we can't even guarantee that yep. you build a relationship because if you're a jackass, no yeah. one's going to like you and you're not <laughs> going to build any. Yep. Right. So we can't even guarantee that. So we had to look further down the thing. Hey, what can we guarantee? And we discovered, and then we built a system around it. We can guarantee we give people the opportunity to build valuable relationships with other accomplished entrepreneurs. And in fact, we give them the opportunity to build valuable relationships with a minimum of 30 per annum. And we have our core system, our networking system that, you know, that, that does that. But my point is, you know, we, there are a lot of amazing benefits that come from Cup. People do business, they find opportunities, people make great friends, people find huge amounts of knowledge. But we don't actually do any of that. That happens through a relationship, which we can't even make. We have to give you the opportunity to have that relationship. And, and so I think as a service-based business, finding kind of work your way, what's the, what's the you know, what, what can we guarantee? Mm. And just ask that question, what can we guarantee our, our, our clients um, is a really cool concept because you can sell that. And when you guarantee something, even if you're guaranteeing a big piece of shit, like people still, okay, at least I know what I'm getting. Look, I went on a road trip seven days ago and, and I, I saw farmers selling pieces of shit on the road. It's true, yeah. They do have value. Just I was driving, <laughs> I went to the literally. Cup, I, they do. I, I went to the Cup Country House last weekend and I was driving like past it on the street and someone had... Uh, a sign said horse horse that's right. horse booth for sale. Right. <laughs> so people can actually sell shit. That's is right. the point. That's right. Um, 
Awesome, my man. And so tell us then about, let's get off the topic of businesses. By the way, that was great. I really loved that conversation. But let's get on to the topic of um, just the renewable renewable energy space in industry. Because, uh, I mean, we've kind of started the conversation. You were like, oh, most people think renewable energy, it's uh, like giant fans and solar panels. I'm those most people. That's all I think about in regards to renewable energy. Um, I am pro-renewable energy. I think the world, I, I think we need to do the stuff for the planet and I'm all for that. But I'm one of those people that gets to believe that the answer has been solved in regards to powering the planet renewably because as a believer in business and capitalism, when the answer is solved, the world will convert because the big, big energy companies will, I'm sure they're going to want to buy whatever technology comes out and they're going to make a fortune changing all the electrical powers or all the or whatever, how power is created, they're going to transfer it all, they'll make a fortune. So I think if the answer was there, the world would be green. I'm, I'm yet to believe that the answer is there. Unless they're still profiting, they want to run out of oil first and then switch it, that's another thing. But I guess I want to hear your opinion on how advanced the renewable energy space is in regards to, is, can you even run the world renewably at the moment? Um. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it's probably, it's something similar to saying, well, can we stop world poverty today? Um, well, yeah, we can if we wanted to, but Touché, we, we that don't, is... um, you know, it's like the top 10 richest people in combined are worth like more than the bottom 3 billion people or something like that now. Something. So um, it's it's a question of wealth allocation and it's something similar similar that's happening in, in renewable energy. Um, I think the technology already does exist, but I think it's a question. It's it's a pretty, um, I guess it's a loaded question. There's just so many different moving parts to it. There's um, huge matters of employment. So, for example, in Australia, we've got still a huge uh, portion of the People population, in in, yeah, employed by coal mines or servicing coal mines, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's that's another sort of issue with renewable energy at the moment is it's really heavily politicized, um, and and for for somebody like me who um, doesn't necessarily get into the politics. Um, I'm not really interested in that, and um, it's 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 interesting how heavily politicized it is, and how how much it's linked, for example, to things like climate change. Um, and it's interesting that while the politicians talk about this sort of stuff, um, the commercial and the business sectors have already moved on it. So it's it's what interesting. What do you mean have already moved on it? They're investing heavily. Um, huge. There's there's huge money coming into the sector. So when I was saying at the beginning of the pod- podcast, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Well, it's finally happening now because um, there's there's huge money flowing to the sector. And so when I look back ten years ago at how big the sector was compared to now, I can't believe that I was in business back then. You know, we were talking about you know market share percentage of something teeny you know what i mean so it was, it was such a small industry so like you said about the pie the pie has grown exponentially since then and it's continuing to grow because of um the position a, a lot of pension funds are taking regarding their future investments um you know capital um and, and those sort of things so when you said you're not convinced that it's 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 happening it is happening it's happening right now of course it's not going to happen in the next one or two years it, it takes a lot of time and it takes probably a generation or, or two to shift that. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, um, mm. especially in the industry where you're right, technology, um, I guess, is, is still developing rapidly. Um, but it's not to say that it's not useful. It's the same thing as computers. You know, we were we were using Microsoft Word in 1995 and it, and it did the job for, for 
what it was doing back then. And now we laugh at that technology, but it still worked. You know what I mean? There's there's more tech on the iPhone than, you know, the the, the moon rocket, right? So um, there's there's you, a lot of that. You've just dropped two of the greatest analogies we've heard so far in this podcast. Well, I stayed away from whales. Blew my whales out so, of the yeah. water. I love what you said about that. <laughs> Could we solve poverty? You know, great analogies. But one thing that that's that I think like an aspect, a, a role business plays and a role entrepreneurs play is that they actually do, and what you just highlighted kind of without saying it, is that the business people solve the world's problems. A lot of people are going to get angry at me for saying that, but it is true. Politicians don't do it. They're too busy um, trying to make sure they get uh, elected and they don't want to cause change. It causes unrest and people don't vote for them. And all the inventors, uh, to an extent, of course, they play a huge role, but still... Hey, I could invent a, a teleportation device, but if no one um, uh, turns it into a business and, and makes it accessible to, to, to their communities and, and to others, it's going to be a useless device. Business people and for profit is especially important because when someone's going to benefit, more money is going to come. And when more money comes, more people can be hired. And when more people can be hired, more brains are, are trying to solve a problem. When there's more brains and there's more community and more people speaking about something, they're going to solve that problem faster and faster and faster until the problem's solved. And then the business person will market this new product, will get it out there. They'll create the structures and the manpower to sell it. They'll make the deals. And the business person, business, and mark my words, business will turn the world green. So long as it's for pro so long as they'll profit from it, which I believe they will. A capitalist, what yeah. a capitalist! Huh? But it's true, it's true. It, it won't happen any other way. <laughs> Look, it is, it is, and 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 I agree, and and I'd be hypocritical if I didn't say I was a capitalist. Um, I, I think one of the key uh, challenges facing the renewable energy sector is is a thing called externalities and how you value externalities. So, as an example, um, you know, Australia's gone from being one of the cheapest. Um, electricity prices to one of the most expensive in about 20 years. What uh, is an externality? Before you so, so an externality is something that's not priced into, uh, into a model. And so as an example, one of, the, one of the important sort of one of the key things, for example, is, um, is the environment, right? So the impact that coal mining, for example, has on the environment. So we don't, we don't, we don't price that, right? So that was, that was the attempt, an attempt of pricing that was the, the, the carbon the tax, tax so yeah. called, right? So in other words, um, trying to get all of the other external impacts that something has on society and trying to, pro to, to, to put them into a pricing model. And so it's- If you're going to kill our planet, at least pay us for it. Well, something, damage like, something air, like at that, least pay us right? For it. So, you know, the capitalist market works until it doesn't, right? And that's the problem. It's like it, it works, it works, it works until you run out of something and you're like, oh, shit. Right, so <laughs> yes, but then naturally it'll switch. The problem with the capitalist sort of, model, <laughs> so long as there's something else to sell, it'll switch. Well, then so long, so long as there's an incentive to do that, right? Yeah. And so that that I think one of the biggest issues that we're facing uh, currently is the, I guess, and one of the one of the big differences in um, certain countries, um, I suppose, policies is is how long term the policies are and how long term the view is. And so, like I said, I think. I think the transition between, say, coal and renewables, um, it, it might happen. You know, it's it's a decade-long process, or a few decade-long process, or or even thirty, forty-year process. So, how can how can we make policies that are going to last that long? It's difficult for people to even have that attention span or, or even conceptualize that nowadays, right? So, 
Yes. But it does highlight what could potentially be the role of government. If politicians, what I'm saying, if politicians aren't going to solve the problem, what they could potentially do is enable business business entrepreneurs to do so and they can do that through policy. So they can make it more profitable for you to go green as a business person. If you're going to start a, a, an energy business, we'll give better uh, policies and less um, – just red tape, probably. Yeah, less <laughs> red tape. You know, what's the word? Anyway, I'll think of it later. Sanctions, they could, they could, penalties. they could, they could, um, they could kind of direct business into things because business definitely does go rogue. I mean, you could look at it like with the <laughs> drugs and healthcare in the U.S. and all. Right? Capitalism goes rogue. We know that it needs to be controlled, but but perhaps government could help business solve the problem by creating more favorable. It's, it's interesting that you say Better that. Better tax rate, all this type of shit. Well, look, it's it's interesting that you say that. Um, so, f- I guess you asked about what is the renewable energy sector, and one of the one of the biggest issues in the renewable energy sector for the last ten years has been um, an inconsistent policy. And so, I'm personally of the view, or, or in business, um, stability is is very very important for business to thrive. And a changing policy is worse than having no policy at all. And so, um, or that's certainly been. In my view. I could not agree more. Yeah. I think stability (laughs) is all we we just need a floor that doesn't break as you walk. You know, we need to know if we're going to play soccer on this field, I want to know that I'm not going to fall through just in front of the goal and fall down to China. And that's exactly what's happened in the renewable energy sector. Not once, um, but but multiple times. So over the last 10 years, we've coined a term in the industry called the solar coaster. Um, and that's literally what it is. We're on the solar coast that we go like this with government policy. And so that's one of the other reasons, um, I guess, or one of the conscious strategic decisions that we've we've made is not to or to rely on government policy as little as we can because um, I think that's that's the most sustainable for a renewable energy business um, because if you're if you're subject to policy that changes every four years, how are you supposed to sustain so, a business? So what you're saying is the politicians can't even do that right. Uh, yeah, something but, like no, that. Really, it's probably better for them yeah. not to meddle than to meddle a little bit. Yeah, you know, they, so. should, they should either stay out of it or <laughs> or, or keep a consistent policy, uh, keep keep consistent rule books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, renewable energy, energy in general, it's 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 sort of similar to an infrastructure investment, right? So if you're building a highway, imagine imagine trying to build a highway and having your toll charges changed every two or three years. You know, how are you going to make a decision to build a mm a highway that's going to last for 50 years or 70 years and build a revenue model around that when the policy keeps changing every two or three. Have you ever watched on YouTube uh, Kerry Packer's uh, court case when, when I don't know the government is questioning him about owning both the newspapers and the television and he's saying, no, no, I've followed the law, I only own the right amounts. Have, have you watched that before? I haven't but I think I've seen snippets of okay, it. Okay, you have to watch it yeah. because it is – I can't remember what it's called. Just people type in YouTube, Kerry Packer, uh, media court case, maybe Australian government. I don't know. But what he says, first of all, he's a genius because he just knows the laws of not just Australia but every major like uh, England, the US, Canada. He knows the laws. He knows the key players. And he just – he knows it better than the politicians did. So as Mm. they're asking him questions, he's saying, no, no. This is your law. I'm following your law. And they're trying to change the law on him. And what he's saying is, wait a second, you can't set the rules. I follow the rules and then you change the rules. He's saying, Retrospectively. Yeah, he's a business. Yeah. He actually said exactly what you said. He said, but how can you expect for our country to grow and, and have wealth come to this country and our economy to grow and our country to get stronger if you keep changing the rules? He goes, if businesses are going to be too scared to come here 
if you keep changing the rules on us. We need rules and just keep the rules and we will follow them, mm. but don't change them. And that's what he says over it. And he just blitzed these politicians. It was the funniest thing. I was in hysterics the whole time because he was just, I kind of wanted to be him, but also like he was just so smart. He just knew everything and, and he's, he just made sense. And mm. they, they almost couldn't make sense of him because he was just so advanced. He just knew his space so well. Watch it. It's great. I loved it. I just got excited. I was about to get... <laughs> Sounds good. The king. Yeah, huh? yeah he's mad. Oh, yeah. Kerry Peck is the man. All right, my man. A few couple questions before we wrap up because we do Nothing have to wrap hard. up. Nothing too hard. One thing I really wanted to to get from you was uh, you put down a book here. Why can't I find it? Um, you've got your book here. You've put down... Yeah, so uh, you, you've put down Red Notice by Bill Browder. What is that about? Why is it your favorite book? Uh, well, because it's uh, well true. Um, what is it about? It's, what it's, is it? Well, it's about um, it's about a an, an American guy who went to Russia, became one of Russia's largest foreign investors, um, and then getting chased around by the Russian KGB and stuff. And so oh, it's wow. still happening today. Oh wow! Yeah, it's amazing. And so, and, and who wrote the book? Bill Browder. The guy, he's the, the guy. guy. He's so the guy. Bill yeah. He's the guy that did. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, he's not running that quick. He has enough time to sit down and write a book. <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's like a, if KGB it's was book. after me, I'd be like, man, I'm not writing shit. I'm just running. <laughs> I think that's why he wrote it. So it was like, a, if I die, this is what's going on. So, oh, But it's a good read. It's 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 interesting. And what did you take from it? What were you? Uh, a bit of everything. It's it's got it's got everything. It's got juicy gossip. It's got um, it's got an insight into investment, into business, uh, into foreign business. Um, he he actually. He made money on on the Polish stock exchange. Um, so when when Poland uh, became democratic, um, a lot of the sort of the the government owned uh, big big companies sort of dissolved or became public, and he picked them up at a cheap price. And then he sort of went to Russia and tried to do the same thing. I think. Um, so he knows how to take advantage of companies switching from communist to dem- some, communism something to like that. Yeah, and and he um, he was working for a big investment bank, I think, in America, and, and he sort of made a name for himself in in uh, Eastern European equities. Um, and so that's how I think that he fell into it as well. I think. And what about you've got here your favorite quote? It's it's uh, it's a survival quote. So what does that mean by survival? Oh, when you read the quote first, anyway. uh, well, the the quote is if you if you don't have to stand, sit. If you don't have to sit, lie down. And um, it's it's um, some people say it's lazy. I say it's efficient. Um, but mostly you are an engineer. I, li- I do like lying down a lot. That's why it's my favorite. But and I think what, it's 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 more about efficiency. What does it mean? Yes, yeah? so it, it just do do the least do do the least you have to do in order to achieve. Um, I think it, I, I think it, if you interpret it that way, it sounds a bit lazy. But for me, it's sort of um, it's it's ju- it keeps me on track actually. So um, I think people can be really distracted with certain things, especially in business. There's a lot going on and. And um, it's something similar to a new cycle, right? You, you can be stuck in a cycle and sort of that just snaps me out of it and sort of reminds me to, to focus on what's important. Um, rather so than why being is that a survival down. quote? I, I heard it on a survival channel. Literally, oh, is that actually? Li- literally, yeah, yeah, literally. So the channel was, told me so. It, it was. No, it was, it was literally like one of those Bear grill programs or whatever, you know, if you're, if you're stuck in a 40-degree, you know, in a desert on a 40-degree day, you know, it's like conserve your energy sort of thing. Whoa. Pace yourself. I mean, I've watched a lot of Animal Planet in my day and, and one thing I can assure you is that they don't move very much. They Like if you watch the lions, they're, they're always sitting under the tree, out of the sun. The only time they really get up is they've got to go kill something to eat. But really other than that, they're just kind of – Sitting around, it's conserving energy. I thought whales swam like 100 kilometers Damn a day it. or something, oh, I didn't wish they? I should have tied the whales in. <laughs> oh, yes, but they are efficient companies, mate. They're very efficient. efficient. That's efficient right. Efficient people. All right, George, 
Uh, man, that's been an, an incredible episode. What I also loved about this episode was it, and especially lately these podcasts, we've been showing the diversity we have in we have in the club. We, we had a space scientist the other day. We've got uh, renewable energy, a whole, a whole bunch of people. It's really, really cool to see. And, and I mean, uh, you're no doubt you're one of the smartest people uh, I've met and we're very proud to have you in the club. So um, let's have another great year together and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Likewise, it's very kind of you and thank you for having me. And I did forget, if you do want to uh, find uh, get some more information on George, uh, just go to uh, our website, club.club forward slash podcast. You see George Goose's episode. Uh, you'll have his uh, books, um, uh, quotes, uh, all sorts of things. And if you want to reach out to George, uh, please uh, reach out to your community manager at Cub and we'll be able to direct you to him. I hope you enjoy the show.